0: You ever feel like your life is a life of contradictions? I mean, who you are, who you're created to be, and then it's just a life of contradictions. It just doesn't make sense. There's a guy in Scripture that's very much like this. Now you'll know this story As a fantastic story. One of great drama, one of great excitement. One that's almost a fairy tale, if you will. I mean, it makes a great children's sermon. There's a lot of great cartoons out there about it. The story is more than that. I mean, so much more than that, that on the high holiday of Yom Kippur, this book is read. This book is so important that it's read on the highest holiday of Yom Kippur. Now, what's Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur is a day of atonement. It's a day in which I wrestle with the past year of my life. All the things I've done that I shouldn't have done and all the things I didn't do that I I should have done that I haven't maybe lived to my full potential, and I wrestle with that this one day of the year. And I cleanse my soul so that the next year can be different. I like the idea of the High Holidays, they go in cycles because life goes in cycles, doesn't it? It's ups and downs, it's ups and downs, but there's always this chance for renewal, there's always this chance to better myself, there's always this chance to have a second chance, and multiple second chances of that. What's the name of this book? Well, it's 47 verses, it's just four chapters, it's the book of Jonah. I know. You think, well, What's Jonah got to do with all that? Well, let's break it down and look at it. Did you know that the name Jonah has a different meaning? I mean, it's, it's the root word of a couple of different words in Scripture, but the name Jonah itself means dove. And dove is often associated with soul. That's another translation of the name Jonah, soul. Doves in Scripture are used as messengers. Doves in Scripture are used to represent the spirit of God, the soul of God, and Jonah's name being soul. But Jonah's name doesn't stop at Jonah, like a lot of times he's the son of. Well, Jonah is the son of Amirati and Amirati translates truth. Now, in that culture, when you took on the title such as the son of, It doesn't mean that you're less than. It means that you embody all of those attributes. So Jonah, the son of truth, the soul, the dove, the messenger of truth. Jonah's name also has another variation on it, meaning aggrieved. Aggrieved. So here this soul is aggrieved. On one hand, and you and I have have had this in our life, on the one hand, you know you want to do this, but you feel this calling to do that. That's Jonah. Now, in the story of Jonah, it says that God comes down and tells him to get up. To get up and go to Nineveh. Because if you don't, I'm and tell them that if they don't repent, I'm going to destroy them in 40 days. Now, Nineveh is in Assyria, and Assyria is part of the Persian Empire. And the Persian Empire, you'll probably remember from the movie 300 and the Greeks at Thermopylae and King Leonidas and the, that whole Persian Empire. That's who this was. They were enemies of Israel. They had done horrible things. Matter of fact, a few years after. The story they actually come in and destroy Jerusalem and destroy the temple. And Jonah knows this is going to happen. He's a prophet of God, right? He knows this is going to happen. So he is left with this contradiction. Why would I do that? Why would I go to Nineveh and tell them? Turn from their wicked ways or you're going to destroy them in 40 days. I would rather they be destroyed in 40 days. I'm not going to do that. He doesn't want to do it. Now, an interesting thing about this is he's the only prophet that we, that we read of in Scripture who are called to go to a people other than the Jewish nation. He's called to go out to the people who worship the pagan gods. He's called to go out to the people who are the enemies of Israel. He's called to go out outside of Israel and tell these people that God has redemption for them. He struggles with this because he's been doing this very same thing in the nation of Israel to God's chosen people, and they have rejected this. They will not turn from their wicked ways. But Jonah knows God, and he's like, you're a God of mercy. You're a God of tr- love. And I know that if I go and I tell them this, what if they repent and you don't destroy them? And my own people over here won't repent. And No. I'm not going to do it. So what does he do? The scripture says he goes down to Jaffa. And there in Jaffa, he pays the fare of a boat. In that boat, he's wanting to take him to Tarshish. And he gets on this boat and he starts going out to sea. And the Bible says God causes this great storm to come up. And it starts battering the boat back and forth. And just, it's about to the point where it's about to destroy it. And the sailors are so scared at this point. They start praying to their gods. Now the sailors in these days were seen as very pious and religious people. Although they were pagan, they very much, they very much worshiped their gods because it was their gods who they believed that helped them traverse the seas. Remember, they didn't have the technology and the safety at sea that we had. Matter of fact, at one point it's talking about how they start rowing. This was a rowboat. This wasn't a freighter, and it's being tossed about in this ocean, the Mediterranean Sea. What does Jonah do in the midst of this storm? Says it goes down into the belly of the boat, goes to sleep. So these sailors, after they've been throwing things overboard, start casting lots. Whose God is causing this? And the lots fell on Jonah. So the captain goes down, wakes him up, says, Arise, or get up. Same thing God told him. Right? Get up. How can you sleep in the midst of this storm? How can you sleep with everything that's going on like this? Who are you? He asked him a series of four questions there. But Jonah only answers him in one simple way. He says, I am a Hebrew. I revere the Lord who created the land and the sea. The very God that created the land and the sea, he's the one that's brought this storm upon you and upon us. And it's my fault. You'll throw me overboard into the midst of this storm. The storm will stop. They don't want to do that. I mean, who? Again, they're very religious people. They're very good people. They don't want to do this. So they start trying to row back to safety, row back to shore to get out of the storm, but it just keeps casting them back in there. So eventually, reluctantly, they do it. They throw him overboard. The scripture says he sinks down. And it's very dramatic in what it talks about. It says he goes down to the bases of the mountain. He goes down to the subterranean levels. He goes down past the currents of the ocean, down into the depths, down to the point where the weeds are around his head, and it's described as Sheol, as death. And it's at that point where he's at the absolute bottom of this storm that God causes this great fish to come by and swallow him. And it's in the belly of that fish that Jonah stays for three days and three nights until finally he has a prayer. And he prays to God an interesting prayer. Remember, he's still in this fish, but he prays to God this prayer of how he's been rescued, of how he's been saved, of how he longs to go back to Jerusalem. He longs to go back to the temple to make the sacrifices. It's a beautiful poem, which is interesting because most of the story is in prose and then it gets there and it's a poem. But it's a poem in the past tense, as if everything's happened, and you as the reader sat there, or at least I as a reader sat there, and think, wait a minute, you're stealing the fish, dummy. How can you act like, why are you saying this in past tense? But remember, he got rescued from death. But you're trapped. Anyway, he gets spit out, and... Interesting about that prayer is God is like, no, Jonah, not Jerusalem, not the temple of Nineveh. So he goes. He goes to Nineveh. He's not happy about it, right? But he knows this is what he's supposed to do. He goes back to Nineveh, and he tells him what God told him to say. And then he goes up, says into the desert, and there in the desert he sits and waits. He's waiting to see Nineveh get destroyed. You know, like Sodom and Gomorrah. Fire and brimstone. Just come firing down and just destroy all these evil people. But it's not what happens. Says their king actually led them into shuvah. Actually led them in repentance. Actually led them into returning to who they are divinely created to be. Jonah's not happy he's still sitting in that desert wrestling with this these were his enemies and god showed them mercy so then god causes this great tree to grow it gives him some shade and he's sitting there in the shade he's happy about that you know he's got something at least something good's happening then this worm comes and destroys it and he's mad all over again he starts arguing with god again and god said You did nothing to deserve the comfort of that tree. You did nothing to deserve the shade from the heat of the day. How dare you be mad? You did nothing and you got my grace and mercy and it's gone and you're mad. The people of Nineveh did nothing to deserve my grace and mercy. As a matter of fact, they did everything to deserve my justice, my truth. Why is this story interesting to me? It's interesting because of the dichotomy. It's interesting because of the contradictions. It's interesting because of the paradoxes here. It's interesting because it's my soul's journey. It's your soul's journey. It's every soul's journey. I've had a couple times in my life when I've experienced anxiety and depression. One, is a result of my own making, because I was doing things and living in ways in which I shouldn't be. I was harboring anger. I was wanting revenge. I was being ugly to people, and that ate at me. I didn't like who I was, and I'd find myself in the depths of that depression. Instead of dealing with it, I'd try to go deeper. I'd go down, right? I'd go down trying to drown it out trying to get away from that 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 sense that was calling me back to who god had wanted me to be and the other time is when i know this is what i need to do this is who i need to be this is what i'm supposed to be like and i don't want to be that way and so i again i go down to go away from it you see in the there's a storm blowing in that's what you hear in the background in the Jewish teaching, a prophet could not hear from God if he was not in Jerusalem, if he was not in Israel, part of that name. If he wasn't in there, he couldn't hear. So what does Jonah do? He gets away. You ever been there? You know if you stay here in life... I'm just going to keep having that gnawing at me. So what do I do? I try to drown it out. I try to get busy. I try to do something else. Anything else but deal with what I know I should do. And that's what Jonah does. He takes off. He goes down to Jaffa. Did you know that Jaffa translates beauty and Tarsus translates wealth. The two things we often seek in life we chase after physical and material pleasures. So I guess Jonah's sitting here thinking, look, if my own people aren't going to hear from God, and you want me to go call the people that are my enemy, then the whole point of being a prophet is meaningless. There's no point. I'm just going to chase after these other things. And that's what he does. He goes down to Jaffa, headed toward Tarshish. He finds a boat and he pays the fare. Now the boat, oftentimes, an allegory, when you're talking about this story, you're reading about it, you'll find out this boat oftentimes represents our body. And Jonah is willing to pray, pay the price to the body, whatever that means, to escape his true divine essence. So he goes out into this sea. Oftentimes in Scripture, well, every time in Scripture, they're talking about a sea or they're talking about the wilderness or they're talking about a desert. They're talking about this place where you're wandering, this place where it's aimless, this place where you're lost. So he takes his body out into this wilderness, this sea. And while he's out there, it says that God brings this storm to his life. And the body or the, the ship gets tossed back and forth, back and forth, and to the point that it's about to break. Been there. Had that happen, right? Haven't you? Just, doesn't matter what you do, how hard you row, how fast you try to bail the water out, you're just sinking. Things are falling apart. But interestingly enough it's not just affecting Jonah, right? It's affecting the men on this ship who were good men. Yeah, they weren't Israelites. They didn't worship the god that Jonah worshiped, but they were good people. And his life chasing after the physical and the materialistic pleasures of life, not being who God had truly set him aside to be is bringing them is about to bring them down in this storm as well. Now you would think that'd be a wake up call, right? Hey, my life's gone to hell. It's affecting these other people. I need to straighten this out. I need to turn around. I need to pull my, get myself together. But it doesn't. Jonah said, you know what? I'd rather die. So they throw him overboard. Right into the midst of that. And he sinks. Been there. I don't want to go on no more. This is too hard, it's too difficult. It's interesting, one teacher was talking about the things that they were throwing overboard, right? He said, let's think about them as all the things in life we try to save ourselves. Not that they're bad, I mean, we'll turn to a self-help book, we'll turn to a therapist, we'll turn to music, we'll turn to making ourselves busy, we'll turn to drinking, we'll turn to anything else. But that true divine essence, and then again, therapists and self-help books and all those things, they're not bad in and of themselves, it's just there's another step. If they lead us to Shiva, if they lead us to returning to our divine essence, then that's good, but it wasn't enough, they were just throwing them into the storm, just throwing them into the storm. And then Jonah goes over into the storm. He's ready to die. Let's just give it up. Everything's meaningless. There's no point. I want out of here. They do, and the storm ceases. Fish swallows him. Did you know the word fish in Hebrew is also the same word they use for anxiety? It's true. What if this is a story about finally at the end of his road, He's finally engulfed. He's finally swallowed by his anxiety. And he's trapped there for three days. Three is a big number in numerology. It talks about wholeness, completeness. He's completely engulfed in it. But here's another paradox. You would think, why is it a good thing? It's not a good thing that he's swallowed by this anxiety, that he's completely engulfed in it, that he's hit rock bottom and he's trapped. But remember, he was headed toward death and the fish saved him. That's the paradox of our anxiety. That if, what if in that entrapment, what if In there, we took time and we just listened. What is this saying to me? Would we be able to pray like Jonah did? It was in that time that he realized God had saved him. And not for meaninglessness, but for a purpose. And so he has that beautiful prayer. But then he goes on, like I said, he gets out of the fish, he goes up to Nineveh. He does what God said, and you'd think that, well, maybe that would bring him joy, but it doesn't, because his enemy lives, his enemy turns. And we're left there watching Jonah in that desert with that worm, and he's upset with God. You would think the story would have a happy ending, you'd think the story would have a poignant, bam, climax, but it does, and it leaves us with a question. And it's often a question I wrestle with in life. Why? What's the point? Well, the point for Jonah was that there's a second chance. The point for Jonah, the soul, is that when we hit rock bottom, God's still there that divine truth that was that is within us is still speaking to us even in his anger even in his frustration sitting there again in the desert you find him in that desert again God's still there and God still has mercy not just for the people that he's chosen God's got mercy for the whole world and it's It's on one hand frustrating because you think of God as being a God of truth, a God of justice, and that these wicked people will seek, will reap what they've sown, right? But then they don't. Why? Because God, well, He's God. He's beyond our comprehension. He's beyond our understanding and that's okay to wrestle with.